There were three things you didn't talk about in polite company, which was sex, religion, and politics. Mm -hmm. And so I, I talked about two of them all day long, so I always leave the politics alone, right? <laughs> <laughs> to Couples Therapy in Seven Words. I am your co-host, Judy Alexander, and I'm here with my husband, Dr. Bruce Chalmer. Hello, Judy, and hello, listeners. We have a delightful interview today. Uh, in fact, Judy, why don't you tell folks the title of this episode? Right. It's called Sex Therapy and Religion, an interview with Dr. Halev Jacobson. And Dr. Jacobson is a sex therapist himself who is also a Bible scholar and there's a combination you don't see every day. No, you do not. And we asked him about that. And he's a lot of fun, too. And so. he's a lot of fun. And so we had a lot of fun talking to him, and we did a listener question. And so we hope you will enjoy that. Um, we would like you to, first of all, subscribe to this podcast. And then when you have subscribed, we would like you to rate us and review us. Because that's the way folks get to find out about uh, podcasts these days. So we hope you will do that. And also uh, interact with our posts on social media. Uh, we have a Facebook page uh, called at Couples Therapy in Seven Words, of, of all things. Of all things. And um, we would like you to uh, spread the word. Tell mm -hmm. people about this. And while we're at it, let us do a little um, mention of the book that started all of this, which is... Reigniting the Spark, Why Stable Relationships Lose Intimacy and How to Get It Back. And that's a book of mine that came out a couple years ago, uh, available anywhere books are sold, available in pretty much any format you like. If uh, you can get a paperback, you can get a um, audiobook from the Amazon site. And also, if you like it for Kindle, you can get it that way as well. And we hope you will do that. I am working on another book, and I'm not going to talk more about that now, but stay tuned. Uh, there will be another book coming out sometime in the next, we hope, few months. Not Haven't got timing on, on that down yet. And um, what we're going to do now is pause for a moment for uh, a, a sponsored announcement. We have a sponsor now. And, and it happens to be just right up the alley of this podcast, which is, I'm sure, why they wanted to sponsor this particular episode. It could be. They did. And, uh, and then you will hear Judy introducing Dr. Jacobson, and we will come back to you after the interview. We'd like to welcome Tracy's Dog as today's sponsor to Couples Therapy in Seven Words. Tracy's Dog is a maker of all kinds of sex toys to spice up your and your partner's love life. Today we're featuring the OG Pro 2 Clitoral Sucking Vibrator. The OG Pro 2 is a powerful, waterproof, two-in-one vibrator with multiple modes that stimulate both your G-spot and your clitoris simultaneously to help you hit a mind-blowing orgasm. It even has a remote control. It comes in five colors and it's made of 100% body-safe silicone. It's super soft, beginner-friendly, and great for people of all abilities. And compared to sex toys from other companies, Tracy's Dog products are way more affordable. So if you're looking for a fun toy for her, I recommend you try OG Pro 2 Clitoral Sucking Vibrator from Tracy's Dog. And for our listeners, if you follow the link in today's podcast description, you will get $10 off your purchase of the OG Pro 2 Clitoral Sucking Vibrator. So follow the link from today's podcast description or go to ctn7.com to find the discount link there. Prepare to have your mind blown. Our guest today is Dr. Halev Jacobson. Dr. Jacobson is an internationally recognized clinical psychologist, sex therapist, researcher, Bible scholar, and host of the popular Sex Therapy Podcast. He has a doctorate in clinical psychology from California State University. Southern. From <laughs> California saying. Southern <laughs> University, sorry. Might as well be accurate. <laughs> okay, and a doctorate in Hebrew Bible and biblical archaeology from the University of Maine's. Additionally, he has a graduate certificate in sex therapy from the University of Wisconsin-Stout. As an expert on the topic of human sexuality, he authored Abrahamic Faiths, Perspectives on Gender Identity and Sexuality, a pioneering and innovative study on the correlation between gender identity, sexuality, and religion. 
He is the lead researcher of the Menstruation Initiative, a global study to quantify the benefits of masturbation on menstrual system symptoms. Dr. Jacobson is a leading expert in sex and religion. He chairs the special interest group of the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists on the subject. Additionally, he is the president of the School of Sex Therapy, a professional training program for clinicians to become certified in the area of psychosexual therapy. Alev, welcome to Couples Therapy in Seven Words. Wow. With all of that, it seems like I've been busy the last four years. It sure does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> but it's so good to be here with y'all. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's, we're delighted to have you. So, you know, it, it, you are, of course, I, I think you know this, you, you bring together some uh, topics that are not often brought together that much. How did you get into these two seemingly divergent areas of sexuality and religion? Like, tell us something about your own journey. Um, it's, it's funny because everyone asks this question. That's one of the top two questions I get asked. That, how I got involved in both of those. And the other question is, what do your parents think about you talking about sex all day? Well, those are like the two main questions. I didn't um, even think of that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I wanted to study Bible. I, I really like, I was really interested in studying Bible and my parents, they were, you know, wondering what would you do studying Bible? Like you would not, what are you going to do afterwards? Like, it's not very practical. They didn't think. And so, you know, we kind of had this agreement that I could study Bible if I did something else as well. And so I got in, I, I, when I was going to college, I wouldn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I could do psychology. I could do, uh, you know, I could do something like public service, like, you know, maybe go into politics, maybe do music. I didn't know what to do. So um, I settled on psychology and I was going to major in religion. And um, I ended up getting two bachelor degrees. I don't know how it worked out that way, but I thought at the end I would have a clear desire of what I wanted to do. And I ended up getting scholarships in both biblical studies and in psychology. And that journey just kind of continued until, you know, here we are now. <laughs> it kind of, so it kind of, it, it, and I'm glad it did because as you, as you know, and as you can imagine, the intersection of sexuality and spirituality, or when we talk about like sex and religion, it's often thought of as being mutually exclusive. And it's often difficult to navigate both of those subjects together. And unfortunately, not many people have the training or the academic knowledge to work on those issues. Mm, yeah, indeed. That actually what, what we're wondering about, you know, how do you you know, when you're talking with a couple, when you're doing therapy with a couple about their sex life, how does religion enter into it? And I, you know, I know it's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the seven words of our, our couples therapy in seven words are be kind, don't panic and have faith. The faith part, not necessarily religious faith, the way I talk yeah. about it, but certainly consistent with a, a lot of people's religious faith. And it is interesting to me in my own work that, uh, People are often reluctant to bring up faith, but if they do, I'm happy to, I mean, I, I'll bring it up if they don't. I'm, I'm very yeah. happy to talk about it with folks. And they're often surprised because many of their experiences with therapists is if they mention anything about faith or religion, the therapist kind of clams up and as if that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. And of course, it often does. But I'm curious, how do you put those two things together with a couple? So... As I told you, I'm in Berlin. I, I know it's hard to tell from my thick German accent, but I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> and so, you know, we grew up, you know, there were three things you didn't talk about in polite company, which was sex, religion, and politics. Mm -hmm. And so I, I talked about two of them all day long, so I always leave the politics alone, right? <laughs> um, you know, you, you become accustomed to bringing up these topics in therapy. And I think they're both very important, especially when we consider a holistic approach of dealing with clients. Um, a lot of therapists, as you know, not only do they not bring up uh, issues of faith, but a lot of times they're very negative when it comes to issues of a person's religious background, yeah. especially in sex therapy, you know, like well, of course you're having those problems at your religious upbringing, or mm -hmm. uh, of course right. you feel shame and guilt about sex. You know, you, you grew up in this particular religion. What's fascinating to me is that a lot of people who come in 
and who have problems with guilt or shame around sex, it doesn't matter if they're religious or not. Religion seems to be something easy that we can point to, but for a non-religious person who has shame and guilt around sex, they have nothing to look at. It's a much bigger struggle for them because sure. they don't have religion to villainize. Um, so I, I typically bring it up. I, I often say that I encourage a person of whatever religious background they are, because I think in the therapeutic practice, it's very helpful because religion offers something that as therapists, we try very hard for our clients to have. We want them to have a support system and religious community offers that. We want them to have an optimistic outlook. Religious community offers this as well. Um, and you know, we want the client to feel like they have a purpose in life. And religion also offers that. So yeah. I'm not saying that there isn't any spiritual abuse that ever takes place, but spiritual abuse is just that it's abuse and we need to label it as such. Um, you know, we would never tell someone who was in a bad relationship, don't ever get in a relationship again. That was terrible, right? Mm -hmm. We would never tell yeah. them that. We do that with religion. Though. If they come from a religious background and it was bad, we say, oh, it's a cult. You need to leave religion. It's bad for you. And I, I think that's a terrible perspective. And we're really missing a huge part of a holistic perspective in treatment. It's interesting. I mean, that, that notion of, of what religion often gives people is that sense of purpose. It's, you know, I think all the religions I'm familiar with, I mean, we're Jewish, as, as are you, I know, we're not, um, it's not like I'm familiar with all the world's religions, but my general impression of the, the ones I've heard of, they all have this, they all offer this genuine sense of validity and meaningfulness to people. That no, you right. actually your existence is meaningful. The universe just wouldn't be the same without you. You know that 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 right. notion within Judaism that that uh, you know everybody should carry around two pieces of paper. That's what is that from? The, the yeah. world was created just for me, and, and I'm, I'm one, nothing right. but dust. I'm nothing but dust and ashes. ashes Those two right. sort of you know quasi biblical uh, quotes there, and the, yeah. the notion, yeah, the universe was created for me. In addition to recognizing <laughs> that I'm just dust and ashes. That religion offers that, and that that sense of faith as fundamentally valid, I think, is what it, it you know what people's religious life often offers them. And so, to, yes, indeed, to just look at that and say, well, that's the villain because you, you're getting all these anti-sexual messages, um, really misses a lot of what you know. It, it doesn't work for people. Yeah, and and I guess two things to that is is one, uh, I would say, as a therapist who is Jewish. I mean, one of the reasons why I do this work and one of the things that motivates me is like the principle of tikkun olam, right? Like mm -hmm. it is my responsibility to, to make a difference and an impact in the world that we live in. So that provides me purpose. But I'll also say that I think there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to religion and the boundaries that religion places around sex. And I often tell people that boundaries do not equate to sex negativity. Boundaries mm -hmm. are good. We tell people to have boundaries in every area of their life, in their yeah. relationships, in their families. We often encourage boundaries. And it's just interesting that when it comes to sexuality, often if there are any boundaries, for some reason, this is this is bad. And, I, and it shouldn't be considered that way. Yeah, no, very, very true. So... I, when you've talked about the importance of masturbation, and I, maybe I'll make that even a, a wider <laughs> question, because um, uh, we also want to just ask you, G, in general, like, how do you help a couple improve their sex life? And you've, you can put masturbation in the context of that as well. But we're sort of curious about that. Like, what, how do you help folks? So it would really, I, I'm only laughing because I'm thinking of the many directions that this could go in, right? So, so for, <laughs> so for your, so for your listeners who are maybe not uh, um, familiar with sex therapy, because there is so many misconceptions and myths concerning sex therapy, um, you know, we're not having sex with clients first off <laughs> and, and the things that we work with clients on range from sexual functioning, like, uh, like you'll see diagnosed in the DSM, whether it's erectile dysfunction, you know, rapid ejaculation, uh, delayed ejaculation for men, um, hypoarousal disorder, or for women, things like uh, genital pelvic pain disorders, 
or you know, low desire, whatever the case may be. So we do work with individuals on topics related to sexual functioning. We do work with couples when it comes to issues such as mismatched desire where one partner wants to have sex more than the other partner or connecting with intimacy. However, there are other aspects of sex therapy. For example, if I had a couple who say they've been married for, say they've been married for 30 years and say the wife gets breast cancer. And so she has you know, procedures to, to take care of this. And she's looking in the mirror and her breasts are no longer there, right? This mm-hmm. impacts her sense of self mm-hmm. and the way that she thinks about herself as a sexual being. Or a man who's had prostate cancer and has difficulties achieving erection afterwards, who feels less of a man and unable to please his wife. These are these are not these are not simple issues or uncomplicated issues. I mean, this really goes to the very core of our existence and the very core of our relationships. You know, a lot of therapists work with couples who are individuals who have had sexual trauma in their past Mm. or um, someone who is maybe struggling with sexual orientation or things of this nature. So sex therapy is very broad. So when it comes to working with couples, that's kind of why I laugh because it really depends why they come in. Like, are they coming in because someone has more desire than the other? Are they coming in because they're unable to connect with each other sexually? Are they coming in like religious clients? I see a lot of Orthodox clients who have unconsummated marriages because they're struggling with how do you go from being a Froom individual to being a sexual individual basically overnight, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you've right. given the ketubah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So how do, how, do I, how do I make these two areas of my life connect? Um, and for some couples, this can, and, and in most people's cases, I do a lot of psychosexual education simply because a lot of people don't know much about sex. They don't know much about their sexuality or, you know, basically they just know, you know, penis to vagina penetration and that's all they know or understand. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that is educating the clients and then kind of training them ways to compromise and communicate their sexual needs or sexual concerns with their partner so that they can find ways to connect with each other. I'll answer only because the question's so broad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, when you're, when you're working with a couple and talking about their sex life, how does religion play into this? So actually, I would say in my intake forms, um, I, I ask them about their religious upbringing and what messages around sex that they've received from their religious background, whatever it may be. Um, so let's say... Let's use the example again of a, of a Froom couple who unconsummated marriage or vaginismus. And for those who are listening who don't know vaginismus is, is the pain disorder that females have that make it very difficult for penetration to happen. And, and I want to mention for people who are listening, Froom means like religion. It's a Yiddish word and also German, right? You, you, you must yeah. speak German. You're there in, in, uh, in Berlin. Um, but Froom just meaning uh, religious. It's uh, religiously active and, and observant. Yeah, so so for a Froom couple, unconsummated marriages, a lot of times the the woman has uh, or may have experienced vaginismus. Uh, the man often experiences early ejaculation, and for for an Orthodox couple uh, in Judaism, a man is only able to ejaculate inside of a vagina. So this becomes a problem of concern with them. So I know their religious background. And then whenever they discuss issues, sometimes we, uh, I would, I would ask the couple if it was okay for me to talk to their rabbi to find solutions that would work for this couple. Mm -hmm. Um, Most rabbis are automatically okay with the use of vibrators or dilators. So that's usually not an issue. I've had issues um, for those that are listening who don't know, because because a man is only able to ejaculate inside of the vagina uh, in Judaism, condoms are, are found. Every other birth control is okay except for condoms. And so I've had uh, a lot of times where the rabbi would allow condoms to be used um, if they put holes in them. So that's why this would help the man not to ejaculate as quickly. Um, so we find practical solutions. Now, 
when it's with a Christian couple, and a lot of times with religious or evangelical Christian couples, some of the sexual concerns are revolve around like the use of pornography. Uh, this has just been my experience. I'm sure some some therapists have other experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in their faith tradition, uh, pornography is considered inherently wrong in every way, shape, or form, and to the point where it's often considered infidelity to view it. Mm-hmm. So this creates a whole new struggle, right? Like we have to find ways of of working with that couple because their faith informs the way that they view whatever the topic is. Like I said, in this case, infidelity, most people wouldn't consider it that. So when I work with a evangelical couple, I have to approach the pornography in the therapeutic session as if we are working through an issue of infidelity. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've had that. I've actually met folks I, I, I don't associate this necessarily, oddly enough, with uh, being, you know, religiously sort of fundamentalist. I've actually met folks uh, where, well, it's, usually it's a woman, although I'm, I don't, you know, I don't think I've heard this the other way, where a woman considers that if a man masturbates, he's being unfaithful. This is, this is, yeah. this is very common. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and I would say with that issue that you're very right, like it's not even a religious issue a lot of times. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the female feels as though the woman feels that the man has no need for her or he's cheating because he's fulfilling his sexual needs without her. Yeah. Um, and in these cases, I usually talk to the clients about how our sexual experiences, like we don't stop being a sexual being or having a sexual relationship with ourselves. And when I, I, people are listening, what do you mean a sexual relationship with yourself? We all do have a sexual relationship with ourselves, whether we masturbate or not, like our bodies are sexual. And so when we understand our bodies and we have this relationship with our bodies, um, this does not stop just because you get married, right? Like this is something that's ongoing and continues. Our bodies change through time, whatever the case may be. I I also talk to clients a lot about the purpose of masturbation and how masturbation fulfills a completely different need for a person than sexual intimacy with a partner does. And this is often very helpful. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. I'll sometimes put the whole issue of being sexual beings in a broader context of intimacy in general. You know, living Mm -hmm. organisms need to interact with their environments and we interact in all sorts of ways, you know, sort of uh, emotionally and spiritually and and sexually and, and, you know, physically in various ways. And when that is when it's working well, uh, the the existent, you know, the fact in a couple that has a, a, a well-functioning sex life, at least it seems to me, when it's working well, the fact that either one would experience the world as sexually stimulating is not bad for the relationship at all. It's actually good. And then, right. of course, they, in terms of acting on that, they act on that with each other. But the, the sure. what happens sometimes is people will so suppress that sense of intimacy, either within the relationship or outside it, that the organism, the, the organism that is the couple starts to sort of shrivel up, you know, it starts, sure. it starts to die. And there are clinical studies that show that people who masturbate have a more active sex life with their partners. Mm, yeah. So it's not like an either or, as a lot of people think, it very much goes along with what you just said about organisms um, responding within their environment. So, and I, and I think that's very important to recognize. Yeah. So when, if you come across a couple that thinks masturbation is wrong uh, based on their religion, how do you deal with that? Well, let's let's take Judaism as an example. So, <laughs> okay, uh, just, let's just do to that. Pick one at random. Yes, why not? Yeah, let's just pick one at exa- random. Uh, so, again, because a man is only able to ejaculate within a vagina, um, masturbation is frowned upon for a man, right? Right. And you know, um, I, I, I have no, I have no qualifications as a rabbi, and I'll bet you know more about this than I do. It seems to me I've seen there's a, there's a machloket around there. You know, there's an argument about that. Yeah. Is there, there is. am I right about that? Yes, <laughs> there, there arguments are. About <laughs> there's arguments about, there's arguments about everything, which is yeah. very true. Yeah. And I will tell you, I have worked with rabbis when um, working with men, say, who have erectile dysfunction, 
And so usually the first thing I would do is I would send them to a urologist to make sure there's no uh, physical issues that are causing them to have erectile dysfunction, mm-hmm. cardiologist maybe. Um, and if they are still having issues with erection and they're, they're telling me they don't have any relational issues, which typically isn't the case, typically there are relationship issues, but I, I often would encourage the client to masturbate because what we have found in studies is that most people who experience erectile dysfunction when it's not physiological have no trouble achieving an erection when masturbating, yeah. which immediately tells me there's a problem in the relationship that needs to be, that needs, that needs work. Mm-hmm. So I have had rabbis who have given permission as long as they didn't ejaculate ah. for them to masturbate. Um, so there are workarounds. It's, it's a little more complicated within certain fundamentalist Christian groups because there's a lot of guilt associated with it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. there is this, oh, I'm going to go to hell because I masturbated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is, this is, and I will say that in my experience as well, most pastors are not as willing to compromise, if you will, or to find solutions that would help the couple. And in this case, I changed the discussion to more about values. Like what is that person's particular values? And then as a Bible scholar, I often take some of the information that they've learned and I've reframed it in a different narrative. For example, um, so for those who don't have any religious background, uh, the problem with masturbation in, in most Abrahamic faiths comes from the story of Onan, where he did not impregnate his sister-in-law after his brother died, okay? Mm-hmm. And he spilt his seed on the ground. Right. So I will reframe that in where it isn't really an issue of masturbation, um, because I think it's very clear in the text that it's not specifically talking about masturbation. It's talking about Leverite marriages where he had an obligation to produce an heir for his brother who died. Mm-hmm. And he that... promised this woman that he was going to give her an heir. And instead he broke his promise to her. So he sexually used her in a way that, you know, in the way that he took advantage of her for his own fulfillment. Yeah. And that, that's the real that... issue. That's my understanding, and again, I, I don't claim uh, you know scholarly um, qualification here, but I thought I had seen some Orthodox discussions, you know, discussions among Orthodox mm-hmm. sources, saying that yeah, masturbation is not the same as the thing with Onan. That there is a you know, there's a distinction that can be made as long as you're not indeed doing what he did. As long as it's basically more about you know coitus interruptus than it is about right. uh, masturbation per se. A hundred percent. At least that's my, that's my take on it. And that, and I have, I have a book coming out next year called Archaeology, the Bible and Sex. And I I make a very strong argument about that as well. Mm -hmm. So when you get, let's say you have a a young Orthodox woman who's never had sex before, and uh, she doesn't know what it is to achieve orgasm. She's not having that with her husband. What is the Orthodox view on women masturbating? So she could, you know, find out how, how she can achieve orgasm. So I have not come up with any problems with that. Not, uh, not, I mean, I've had problems with the woman has an orgasm. I've never had any problems with there being a prohibition against women masturbating. Mm-hmm. In fact, I often encourage women to get a sex toy. I, I call them sexual health aids because I think a lot of them, um, especially now, you know, there's this notion of a sex toy as being something cheap and dirty in the back of some bookstore somewhere that you don't want to show up at, right? right. But nowadays, nowadays there are some very beautiful, literally beautiful looking products that, that come in beautiful packaging that would make the packaging my MacBook came in look like something cheap. And full um, disclosure, we actually have a sponsor. <laughs> this this uh, podcast will run with a spot for a sponsor that is uh, advertising a vibrator. So, who is it? <laughs> it's, it's Tracy's dog. Oh, I know them. Yes, I know yeah. them. So, um, let's let's say that I often uh, recommend 
to many of my clients, same with, same with Muslim clients as well. I often recommend that the women get something like, I don't know if you want me to name names that you have a sponsor, but so I'll, I'll use, I'll use generic terms. I, a, a product that produces air pulse technology on the clitoris. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I usually recommend something like this because in my experience, and I talked with Jennifer Berman about this as well, um, and, and her practice in Los Angeles, that she found that all of the women that she gave one to were able to orgasm between five and seven minutes. Mm -hmm. So every, every client I have who has never had an orgasm, I have often recommended these products to them. And what's the benefit of this? People are listening. I, I know, you know, people like Dr. Lori Mintz and all talk about like the orgasm gap. And I do think that's important, but I think there's something much more important here besides just like gender roles and patriarchy. What I think is more important than all of that is when, and the Talmud speaks about this as well, um, when, the man focuses on his wife's sexual fulfillment. And by sexual fulfillment, I am saying that I think it's important for a woman to have an orgasm. There is increased desire. So in relationships where there is low desire and the low desire is the female partner, or when there is a lack of interest or a hesitation about sex altogether, by introducing orgasm into the equation, both partners, are much more satisfied. And for the male partner, the male partner feels a lot more self-confident as well that he is able to help his partner. Even if he's using a product or a mm -hmm. sexual health aid, he has a lot more confidence in his, in his ability to sexually fulfill his wife. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I find when I'm working with couples and I, I should say, by the way, I'm a couples therapist. I'm not specifically a sex therapist, but of course it does. The issue comes up a lot in, uh, in, in the work. And I actually put in a, a parenthetical comment to that. As a matter of fact, the other day, just this, a few days ago, I was at a training, you know, we have to get continuing education training. So I was at a training and it happened to be on the subject of couples therapy that someone was doing. It was interesting stuff. But one of the breakout groups, they had everybody say, all right, how comfortable are you talking about sex with your clients? And do you bring it up in the first session? And it was remarkable to me, the the other folks I was talking to in the breakout group, now, you know, random sample, um, didn't routinely bring it up and seemed a little bit hesitant to talk about it unless the couple brought it up. And I was just astonished about that. This is in a training for couples therapists, and people are not necessarily willing to bring it up. Anyway, to close that parenthesis and go to the other one. Um, no, what I noted is that for men a lot, when that issue comes up of, you know, how can you, how can you behave in such a way that the woman, your, your female partner will enjoy having sex with you, you know, and what that takes for men is learning to hear when she says, hey, more of this and less of that, mm -hmm. you know. And a lot of guys will hear that and be insulted or somehow feel like their, you know, their masculinity is being challenged or something like that, as opposed to guys who can hear that as a gift. She's giving you this amazing gift. She's she's showing you her user's guide, you know, <laughs> and, and if you make her happy and that makes you happy, then you're in good shape because you'll be that's reinforcing for both parties. So you just you just you just nailed like two very important topics. One of, to go to the therapist aspect, uh, it's very true that most of, so through the School of Sex Therapy, we do offer continued education. And so we have a lot of marriage and family therapists and things who take some courses. Um, and you're right, most marriage and family therapists or couples therapists do not bring up the topic with sex. And uh, Dr. Stephanie Bueller has a wonderful book about, <laughs> I'm going to tell you the wrong title, but it's sexual health that every mental health professional needs to know about or, or something like this. Mm. And, um, and we've talked a lot about how most people don't want to bring up sex because when you bring up sex, you're opening up a large plethora of ideas. Like what we talked about earlier, right? Like it's a wide ranging problem. Like you hear some stuff that, you know, sometimes it could be shocking. Sometimes it could be very, triggering for the therapist like like it, it is a very complex issue and then for some therapists especially white heterosexual men 
they don't want to come across as being creepy or that mm-hmm. person yep. who brings this up, right? So a lot of them avoid it. And it's really, it's really, as you said, it's really unfortunate because this is a very important aspect of a person's um, experience. I have a lot of marriage and family therapists who recommend their clients to me because they don't feel comfortable talking to their clients about sex. Hmm. Now, to the second part of what you were saying, I agree with you 100%. I think it's very unfortunate. And I often tell people, I think people take sex too seriously. Like I say, if you cannot, you know, sex, let's be honest, sex is really kind of clumsy. It's, it's kind of messy. It's kind of awkward sometimes, right? And all of that is there's a quote about that where, and the, the, the tagline is, and the position is ridiculous. I forgot who said it. This is probably true too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I often, I often tell clients, if you can't laugh during sex, you shouldn't be having it, right? Like you need to be able to laugh and make it something fun and enjoyable to where you're not. Uh, in fact, someone recently said to me in the past few days um, that they don't understand the notion of sex as being relaxing. Because to them, it's always been very stressful, Mm -hmm. right? Like this is an issue. Um, And you're right. I think if men would listen to their partners and and not be offended, and honestly, there are women who get offended too when their male partner says, I want you to do something a little different. Mm -hmm. But I have seen so many men who they might think it's hot or sexy that their female partner masturbates. But as soon as she has a sex toy, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm being replaced by batteries, right? Like they really, <laughs> it, it's really like an issue of like low self-esteem that they feel they're being replaced instead of seeing it as a tool that can be used collectively. Um, I often tell men, you should be very thankful that she has a vibrator or, you know, a clitoral stimulant, whatever she's using. Because you say some of your fr- your friends name it Bob for better app. Bob, yeah, better yeah, yeah. boyfriend. That's what we call <laughs> yeah. it. Um, and, and, and I said you should be very happy about this because for many men, once they orgasm, their refractory period, depending on their age, could be twenty four hours or more. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can still be intimate uh, with your partner and help her to achieve orgasm, which she'll enjoy. And so I tell, I tell men who are jealous of, of Bob that, uh, you know, there are things that she cannot do with a vibrator. Like she cannot cuddle the vibrator afterwards. She cannot have a conversation or express her needs and desires to Bob. At, at like, least not yet. <laughs> at least not yet. No, I, I will tell you, there is a there is a, a sex toy company who creates a product for men, and they just released their new version of AI version of their product, and it is voice controlled. Wow. So if you tell it to go faster or anything like that, it does work that way. Um, but you know there are, especially for female, when we talk about female sexual response cycles. It is very important after this intimacy to cuddle. And, and to be close and intimate, non-sexually, like, you know, like touching and things like that afterwards, because this begins the woman's sexual response cycle again, even mm-hmm. before the next encounter. So this is very, and this is very essential. And Bob cannot do this. Um, mm-hmm. Earlier, you talked about ma- male masturbation and females getting upset about this. It's the same. It's the same as I tell them, like, with masturbation, and let's be honest, when we talk about male masturbation, it's usually in conjunction with viewing pornography. And a lot of times the issue comes up where the woman is, you know, she doesn't like the fact he's viewing the pornography because maybe she doesn't feel that she looks like the person in the pornography. So obviously he doesn't like me. I'm not his type. Mm-hmm. So there can be issues with that. But at the same time, I explained to the female partner that there are things that are taking place in porn and masturbation that are more about self-care, such as you don't have to be vulnerable, right? Like you don't have to be vulnerable when you're watching porn and masturbating. You don't have to turn the partner on. You can go just to the part you like, take care of your needs, 
and then continue with your day. It's a completely different experience than being with a partner when you need to, I say need to, unfortunately some people aren't, but you should be um, conscious of their needs, wants, desires, and fulfillment in those sexual experiences too. So they're completely different and one does not replace the other. Yeah, which I, I think men tend to understand and women often don't that sense. And it, for, for very good reason, actually, that you know, right. men tend to understand that and women tend not to. Absolutely. Yeah, this might be a good time for us to go into our listener letter. Okay, Khalev, are you ready? I'm so ready. Our writer says, Dear Bruce and Judy, Bob and I have been married... <laughs> Oh yeah. Okay. There's does a, there's this stop? Are we talking? Are we talking about her vibrator, or is this her partner? No, no this, this is, is an actual partner. We didn't even think about that. <laughs> okay. Should have changed wink. the name. But okay. He's Bob. There we go. This is real person, Bob, and I. Okay, Robert. And we, I. We change names, by the way. We don't, it's not an actual person named Bob, as far as we know. But go ahead. <laughs> Bob and I have been married for 27 years. We have three children: one in high school and two in college. We have a really good marriage. We share many of the same interests and hobbies. We enjoy traveling and cooking together. We go contra dancing. We play in a local orchestra. We are active in our church. But when it comes to sex, I have very little interest. Somewhere along the way, my sex drive has dwindled to the point where I don't care if I never have sex again. Bob has been very patient and understanding. Sometimes I give in just because I don't want to deprive him of sex, but I get no pleasure from it. He tries very hard to satisfy me, but I just don't have orgasms. I'm not sure if I ever did. When we first got together, we had a lot of sex and I enjoyed it, although I never had those waves and rushes you hear so much about. I did ask my doctor about it and she said she could put me on hormones, but I'm not sure I want that. I don't want to feel like having sex is a chore, but that's what it seems like. I know some women say their sex drive goes away during menopause, but that it comes back. I went through menopause three years ago and it still hasn't come back. This has actually been going on for about 10 years. Bob says it's okay if I don't want to have sex. He doesn't want to pressure me into doing something I don't want to do, but I'm afraid if I don't, he'll look elsewhere. I'm really torn and I don't know if I should go on hormones or just pretend I'm enjoying it or see a sex therapist. I'm really not sure what to do next. Any advice? So now Call we turn it no. over to you. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's a lot going on here. Um, I would say that, you know, she says that this has been happening for about 10 years. So this is roughly, if she has, if she has kids that are in college, so this, this really kind of began after she had her children, right? Like, so we're looking at a period of time where, Let's be honest, a woman's body goes through a lot of things when they have children and hormones is one of them. There are, you know, postpartum is, is, is a real issue where a woman's hormones are not the same as they were. I often encourage women, even early on in their 20s, to have their hormone levels checked simply so later in life, and this is something they should do regularly, you know, if they start to feel... I don't want to just, I don't want to go to the stereotype of like, if they start to feel depressed, but, but that's one people understand very well, right? Like, mm -hmm, like they understand sure. that a lot of times, um, but there are many other issues, including sex drive. There are, um, you know, being tired. Like there are, there are a number of issues that our hormone levels really impact. So I would tell her that she should have her hormone. If she came to sex therapy, I would want her to have her levels checked. Um, and I do think that in many cases, if whatever comes back from the lab, that it could be helpful, at least in the beginning stages, to, um, to do some hormone therapy. And there are some, and I want, I want to be clear, I'm not, I'm not advocating necessarily medical intervention, as there are some holistic hormone treatments available as well. So there are options out there if she doesn't want to have injections or whatever the case may be. The other thing I think is important, and, and she mentioned she's never had an orgasm that kind of goes to what we talked about earlier, is we, can, we could do things in sex therapy that would help her to 
uh, regain her sex drive or interest in sex. And part of that interest is enjoying sex again. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of women, once they have children, it's not that they're no longer sexual beings, but, and, and thank God for this, their desire in their life, their purpose comes to nurturing their children, right? Like it kind of moves from their need, their sexual needs to, okay, I have these children. I need to focus on that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times their sexual drive or sexual need take a back burner. So now that the kids are getting older and one's off at college, the other two will be going well. I think this is the perfect time for them to reconnect as a couple and to regain the intimacy and excitement that they had when they first began their relationship. And it's exciting that she wrote in when she did because she recognizes her low desire Mm -hmm. and it's a good time for her to work on that before the kids are out of the house. Hmm. Yeah. Cause when, the, when the kids leave, then they, I, I've heard that one too. They'll, they sort of look at each other and say, who, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I remember having fun with you at one time, but I'm, <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if it's possible anymore. And I, and, and I always, so my, I, I'll tell you when I say, I always, I'm telling you, even in my own family, my, my youngest sister just finished college. My mother tells me, ah, oh, me and your dad have the house alone for the weekend. I said, that's great. This is like the time, they're in their 60s. This is a great time for you to go have a nice date night with each other, maybe come home and give each other couple massages, have a comp, turn the TV off, cuddle. Like this is a beautiful time to reconnect as a couple because what happens is so many couples as they have children and you know, you're worried about where the kids are or we got to pay the bills or you, you really forget the fact that both of you are continuously in a state of development. As human beings, we never stop developing. So when couples come in and they're like, oh, I don't know what to talk about with my partner, or they, the one I love is when they tell me, they say, he's not the same person I married, or she's not the same person I married. Mm-hmm. And yes. I always look at them and I say, well, hopefully you're not the same person he married either, because 30 years, you've missed a lot of development if you're still the same person you were. Yeah, very true. This is a good time. That same excitement and mystery that you had early in your relationship where you were learning and exploring the other person, this is a good time to begin doing that learning and exploring again. And that adds a lot of excitement. And that in and of itself adds some sexual desire. Okay. Well, you heard it first from the sex therapist. Here you go. (laughs) (laughs) But get a sex toy. Get a sex toy. Get a sex toy. Get a sex toy, indeed. Tracy's dog, as a matter (laughs) of fact. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. indeed. Um, And there are other fine products out there. there We will say with integrity, by golly, there's lots of them out there. there. They happen to pay us for a commercial. There we are. (laughs) So, so Kalev, tell folks uh, if they want to uh, get in touch with you and, of course, put in a plug for your own podcasts and, you know, give your website and info and stuff like that. Please feel free. So I... I am the most creative person in the entire world. My podcast is the sex therapy podcast, right? <laughs> no creativity. You cannot forget this. Like the website, sextherapypodcast.com, so easy to find. Um, I'm, I'm also, I began in July to do some more social media. So if people want to follow me, they can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Caleb Jacobson. And there's a lot of stuff, especially for people who are of, a faith background, particularly Abrahamic faith background. There's a lot of resources I do dealing with the intersection of sexuality and spirituality that they might find very helpful in, in, in exploring those areas themselves. So I recommend that they follow me and um, I'm always posting stuff and we're having fun. Well, great. Thank you, Khalev. This was very informative and a lot of fun for me. <laughs> and me too. And thank you for doing this. We very much appreciate it. And uh, we will be we will post uh, your information when we post this uh, podcast. So mm-hmm. folks, you're hearing this uh, wherever you found it, either look at the text associated with the, you know, the description that associated with this episode, wherever you found it. And or you can always go to our website, ctn7.com, and we will have information posted there as well. So, Halev, thanks so much for doing this. 
Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Well, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Jacobson. Uh, he was certainly a font of information and um, learned a lot about uh, sexuality and you know people having problems from religious backgrounds and just sexuality in general. It's yeah, it is. It, it, I think I mentioned in the intro. It's unusual. You have somebody who has you know academic degrees and and standing mm-hmm. in both. Uh, being a sex therapist and also a Hebrew Bible scholar. Right. And fascinating guy. So hope you enjoyed that indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to mention again, we would like you to um, help spread the word about this podcast. And you do that best by, first of all, subscribing from your favorite source of podcasts. You can subscribe to us pretty much any place you can get a podcast. And when you do that, we would really invite you to rate us and give a review because that indeed uh, tells the algorithms, hey, people are paying attention to this. And so we would like you to do that as well. And uh, also interact with our posts on social media. Sure. And if you have a question, uh, please write to us. You can email bruce at ctn7.com or judy at ctn7.com or just visit our website, ctn7.com. And when you visit our website, that's a place where, if you wish, you can even sign up for a time to be interviewed. Uh, And most of our guests these days have been people who've contacted us and asked to be on the show. And we've had some great folks, including Mm -hmm. Dr. Jacobson. Yes. Uh, So if you want to get in touch with us and uh, either suggest yourself, sign up for a time, or you can suggest somebody else you think would be a great guest, we would love to hear you. Mm -hmm. So please do that. And another uh, mention of the book that got this whole podcast thing started. Right. Reigniting the Spark, Why Stable Relationships Lose Intimacy and How to Get It Back. Available anywhere books are sold, and we hope you will do that. And, of course, when you do that, uh, take some time, please, to uh, rate and review the book. We would love five-star ratings, of course, um, on especially on the Amazon site, because that's a lot of where people find out about books these days. Mm-hmm. And so, until next time... Remember, be kind, don't panic, and have faith.